0: Dedication Sundays, I love to just take a moment to preach a message geared at the family, and so I'm going to do that this morning, also where, where we are in, on time, but the book of Nehemiah is in a beautiful account of overcoming adversity and rebuilding broken down city walls. You see, Nehemiah was part of a Jewish people who had been exiled from their land, and he was now the king's cupbearer. And although the Persian king Cyrus had allowed the Jews to go back to their homeland and rebuild the temple, they still didn't have city walls to protect that temple or their families. And so Nehemiah feels the burden. He talks to the king and he's given permission to go back and to rebuild these city walls. But but once Nehemiah leaves his post as cupbearer to go work for the Lord, he quickly finds that that even with God's blessing upon his life, things just don't go as smoothly as he would have liked. Even if you have God's blessing and favor in your life, your life doesn't always go perfect. Okay? And so this morning, I want to just speak on this topic in front of your house. You see, Nehemiah traveled back to Jerusalem with a dream, a dream to rebuild these city walls. He was passionate. He was excited. He was ready to work hard and serve the people of God. But Nehemiah quickly runs into opposition. When you read through the book of Nehemiah, there were a couple of guys who were just a thorn in his side. Okay, you ever have someone who's in your life, and you're like, God, did you send me this person to be a thorn in my side? Don't look around, okay? Don't, don't look around right now. But right now, there's people looking at their spouses. You're gonna be, a, you're gonna be in trouble later. What are you doing? But he runs into opposition, and they're trying to discourage him. And, and at this point, he feels like everyone is against him. The odds were stacked against him and against his project. They, they were the minority and not the majority. And as I was recently reading over Nehemiah again, I saw something that really stuck out to me because so often as preachers, we will focus on our message on Nehemiah. I mean, after all, other than God, Nehemiah is the superstar of the story. I mean, the book is named after him. You know, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Paul writes all these New Testament books, and, and the church's city gets the name. He did, we don't have a book named Paul. You know, he's like, come on, God. So this guy, is ne- the name of the book is Nehemiah. And so we focus, rightfully so, on Nehemiah. But Nehemiah could not have done this massive project by himself. Okay, He needed people to work alongside of him. I don't care how incredible of a leader someone is. I don't care how great of a speaker they are. I don't care what kind of classes they've taken, what, how many degrees they have behind their name. When a big project comes up, you can't do the project by yourself. I promise you, if I could, this would already be built. Okay? No one can do a a massive project by themselves. And so Nehemiah, he needed these people, people to buy into his vision, people to stand strong when it seemed like everyone else was against him. And look at Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17. It says, but now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how gracious the hand of God had been on me, about my conversation with the king. And they replied, who's they? It was everybody else. They replied, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began a good work. I'll tell you, I could preach this a different way when God laid it on my heart to say, let's start a stewardship campaign. Let's build for the future. And a whole group of people said, yes, let's do that. And now we got some plans and prints up here, and we're doing that. But if the church is going to make a difference in these last days, there must be clear vision, strong leadership, and unified purpose. And so for them, there, was, there must also be one other incredibly important thing. In order for God's people to truly make progress, for the vision to begin to come to reality, to stand strong when society is opposing everything you're trying to do, this has to happen. Nehemiah chapter 3 tells us about the various areas of the city and the walls that began being rebuilt, but nestled in these accounts of in Nehemiah 3, nestled in these accounts that we often just fly by in our reading, because this person did this, and this person went out and did this. If you read Nine, Nehemiah 3, if you're doing your bread reading and you're trying to read through the Bible in a year, this is a part you just tend to just fly through it, because it's just details about what people did. But check this out, Nehemiah 3.10. Next, Jediah, son of Harumpah, Harumpah Harumah, yes. Harumaph <laughs> repaired the wall across from his own house. And next to him was Hattush, son of Hashabana. I should have had Brother Robinson come up and read this for me. He's smarter than me. They took care they took care of what was in front of their house. Nehemiah 3:12, two verses later, Shalom, son of Halohesh and his daughters repaired the next section. He was the leader of the other half of the district of Jerusalem. They took care of what was in front of their house. And it was not just dad and mom. He got his girls. I remember hearing a story about my father-in-law having his girls out siding with him and working with him. And I thank God for it because I'm me and Chad got to marry hard-working ladies. Right? And so... It was not just mom and dad, take care of what's in front of your house. No, 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 no. He got his, they, they got their sons and their daughters involved because protecting what is in front of our own house is something the entire family needs to be aware of and needs to be in on. Hear me when I say kids need to learn early how important it is that we make sure that we're keeping an eye on what's going on around our house. I'm not saying just burglars or predators or keep an eye on the dog or make sure they have water, make sure you lock the front door. Those are all good life lessons and I think we should teach our children that. But I'm talking about teaching our children, I was just thinking about this today, that I want so bad to make sure that I protect the eyes and the ears of my kids. I have a responsibility from God for that, but I also know that I am only one person. I am not omnipresent, okay? Wish I was. I could get a lot more done. But I'm not. I'm one person. And so I know that I cannot always have my ears and eyes on every YouTube video, every clip, every conversation with their friend, every time they're in a group chat. I can't keep my eyes and ears on everything at all times, even though I try. And so I want my kids to know from a young age about what is right and what is wrong because sin is a heart issue. And so I, I want my kids to, I want to try to invest and instill things in them where they have a pure, clean heart. And, and they are not, I'm not trying to catch them. I'm trying to say, you help me watch what's on in the house. Make sure that we together are being aware of what's in our house. And so Nehemiah 3.21 Meramoth, son of Uriah, grandson of Hakaz, rebuilt another section of the wall extending from the door of Eliashib's house to the end of the house. Notice it was the son, it was the grandson. It's a generational responsibility of what we're doing here, of what we're saying, of like, no, this is not just mom and dad's project. This is not just mom and dad's ministry. This is not just mom and dad's church. I want our children to be up here on Family Wednesdays leading us in worship, youth leading us in worship, youth preaching for us. I want our kids to grow up in, in, a, in, a, in a culture where they know this ain't their church and one day it'll be my church. This is my church today. Nehemiah 3.23. Again, we're still in Nehemiah 3, the part we kind of skip over sometimes. After them, Benjamin and Hashub repaired the section across from there house and azariah son of messiah and grandson another grandson of ananiah repaired the section across from his house notice the way this city these walls were being built were hey make sure you and your family the first thing you got to take care of is what's sitting in front of your own house Nehemiah 3.28, above the horse gate, the priests repaired the wall. Each one repaired the section immediately across from his own house. Next, Zadok, son of Emer, also rebuilt the wall across from his own house and beyond them. You go to verse 30. Next, Hananiah, son of Shelemiah and, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zeloth, repaired another section while Meshulam, Son of Barakiah. That's why a lot of preachers don't preach this stuff. Rebuilt the wall across from where he lived. Look at this. I know you're going, I get it, I get it. But do we get it? In in order for a project of this magnitude, in order to say, hey, God gave me a vision and we're gonna make a difference in our society. God gave me a vision and we're going to go and, and we're gonna see God do great things in our society. But let me tell you, before we get to all that, before we even start talking about the first church service and the protection and all this stuff, no, what we the place we need to start is every family needs to go and get their children, and they need to rebuild the things that are sitting on your own front doorstep. Each person couldn't change the whole world or the whole city, but they could take care of what was right in front of their own house. Sometimes we get overwhelmed, we think about yes, I want to go reach the world. Rebuilding something, though, has, has, that has been torn down starts with making changes immediately in front of your own home. And, and before you go try and reach the whole city, I know sometimes let's focus our, our, our attention on the world. And I think we should. We support global missionaries, and, and we want to send global missionaries, and we want to take missions trips. We want, we want to make a difference. Right. But you know what? Before we start focusing on the whole world or even North America, the state of Missouri, the city of Liberty, your entire neighborhood. We first have to take care of our own house. That's our first ministry. Our first calling is I got to look and say, what is going on in my own house without this plan? Nehemiah, Noam, no matter how great of a leader he was, would have never gotten the city rebuilt. And he did that in 52 Days, Come on, y'all. What are we doing? <laughs> I mean, like, if we could do that, we're going to be in our new building in, like, what, uh, April, May, June? We're, we're like, we're going to be, our fireworks will be not for the, just the 4th of July. We'll have a new building by July 4th. I mean, how awesome would that be? Yeah. I'll tell you what, this project ain't moving as fast as I want it to. I'm ready to go dig and start myself. Without this plan, it doesn't happen. 52 days. Of course, God helped and He gets the glory, but the families were involved. It was not just key leaders. You read these, all these accounts that you're just like, yeah, yeah, I get it. No, he took his grandson, he took his son, he took his daughters, they all focused, I, I'm gonna do this right in front of my house. I'm gonna take care of what's in front of my house. You take care of what's in front of your house. You go ahead and take care of what's in front of your house. You guys get what's in front of your house and little by little, the project was in bite-sized pieces. It wasn't just a massive city wall that just a bunch of construction and great minds had to put together. No, 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 if we're gonna see what God wants, to do in this day, we need every family in on this. And I think that there's a parallel between what we're reading right there and what we're reading here today. Is we can talk about buildings, we can talk about vision, we can talk about... But if we all say, well, we're just looking at this, or looking at one day we're going to do this, or looking at the world, looking at the state of Missouri, the city of liberty, and we're ceasing to realize, no, it starts with some parents that say, come on, kids, you're going to be a ho- uh, 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 you're going to have your hands in on the work of the Lord. And we're going to start by focusing what's- on what's right here before we do anything else else. And so, for there to be true progress, miraculous results for the vision that the Lord has uh, given us to be accomplished, to go make disciples of an entire world like Jesus said in the Great Commission, we first must make disciples in our own house. When we do that, our family account will talk about the fact that there's a family here today that's sitting here. And we have parents of Rachel that instilled godly values in her. And no doubt, their mom instilled godly values in them. And Ginger installed godly values in Michael and and in Sarah. And a union comes together from, from parents and grandparents that said, Get your hands dirty and come out here because we're all gonna keep an eye on what's going on in the house. So we're we're all we're all in this together. And then they come and they have two beautiful children and maybe more, we never know, but oh no, okay. All right. <laughs> I'm not prophesying, I was just asking a question. <laughs> I don't know, you got some grandparents over there like, oh, that's fine. <laughs> but because There's a generational thing that says we value. In our household, we're going to value the presence and power of God. And we're going to teach our kids to do the same. We're going to teach our grandkids to do the same. And all of a sudden, unions are made and and people say, I'm going to make a decision. As for me in my house, we're also going to serve the Lord. And and then those children are raised up. and, And what happens is... Society starts to shift, not because of who we voted into office. Society starts to shift because the, 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 the fabric of society is the family. And families as a whole start to say, we will serve God. We will take care of what's on our front porch. We will do this. You see, miracles happen in the church of God when families of God take care of what's in front of their homes, I'm going to repeat that because we all want miracles, but miracles happen in the Church of God when families say we're going to take care of what's in front of our homes." If that doesn't happen, we read about Nehemiah's vision and all this great stuff, and it says, "And to this day, four thousand three hundred some years later, Nehemiah's still building like It doesn't happen if the families don't say, no, 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 Nehemiah, you don't need to do this by yourself. We got this section, they got that section. If all those moms and dads just went out to rebuild the walls by themselves and said, kids, go play, go jump on electronics, we're going out to work for the Lord, and we celebrate them, woo! Yes, look at that. Look at those parents working for God out in the society. This is beautiful. That's not the way things are going to be at Refuge Church. Take your kids with you to teach Bible studies. Get your kids involved in praise team. Take them with you to small groups. Let it become the lifestyle they know so that it's not, you guys wait here. I'm going out to do this. You wait here. I'm going out to do this. I'm going out to do this, and I'm serving God and leaving you behind. No, 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 no. This has to be what they're getting their hands dirty into. They're serving alongside of mom and dad. God's plan was to include their children, to work alongside their children, and to take care of what was in front of their home first. You look at Abraham in the Old Testament. God called Abraham to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Now that seems like, really? That kind of seems out of place in this message. I mean, Genesis 22, it says when they arrived at the place where God told them to go, Abraham built an altar, arranged wood on it. He tied his son Isaac, laid him on the altar of the wood, and Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel said, Abraham, Abraham, yes, Abraham replied, here I am. He says, don't lay a hand on that boy. The angel said, do not hurt him in any way. For now I know you truly fear God. You've not withheld from me, even your son, your only son. And jump down to verse 16. It says, this is what the Lord says. Because you've obeyed me and not withheld your your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number, like the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer cities of their enemies, and through through your descendants, all nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you've obeyed me. Now, God was just testing Abraham. I know that's, that seems crazy, preposterous, that story. But in that day and age, ancient religions and false gods all called for parents to offer their children a sacrifice. It was happening everywhere. So God calls Abraham to do it. And Abraham probably is a little bit confused, no doubt. But he says, all right, Lord, I'm going to go ahead and do it. And Abraham was a leader. And so guess what? If Abraham would have sacrificed his child, all of Israel would have started, all all of his family, they would have all started sacrificing their children too. And at that time, it was completely normal, but fortunately today, there's no more actual physical child sacrifice to false gods. But unfortunately today, there's still a lot of sacrifice going on in families in the name of ministry, career, and our own personal pride and ambitions. Oh yeah, I can... Climb the corporate ladder. Oh, yeah, I can be elevated. Oh, I can serve in that position. Oh, I can get public recognition. And I'm working for God. But always go back to the story of Abraham. Because in the name of worship and ministry, oh, I could sacrifice my child on the altar. But God says, no, no, this is is just a test. Because God will never, ever, never, ever, Ever call you to sacrifice your children, not even in the name of ministry. Because children are our first ministry. The very first thing God calls us to do is this. Take care of what's in front of your house. Take care of your own family, your own children. That does not mean we just turn inward and stop trying to reach a world. It's simply saying... You guys are coming. This is. Our project. These are our walls. This is our front doorstep. Not this is mine. You go play. You're not a part of this until you turn 18. No, from a young age, Asher needs to know that mom and dad, we go worship. We are faithful. We serve. And you come and you serve with us because Asher, you are just as vital to this as we are. And so he is raised in an environment where he doesn't feel devalued as a child until a later date, but that he knows from the very moment that he can understand that I am valued and I am a part of this church because I'm a part of the work of God. You see, this is why Paul wrote to, to Timothy about men wanting to be pastors or church leaders. And he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.1. He says, this is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position. So a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. Now, some would say, well, what does that have to do with anything? I'm just here to preach. I'm here to see signs, wonders, and miracles. I'm sorry if you can't be faithful to your wife. I'm not going to your church. Right. Amen. I mean, that's just that to me, that's the inspired text of God. Yeah, sure, but it's also common sense. Maybe you disagree, but he says, he must be faithful as well. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or violent. He He uh, must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? scripture. So for me, I want to reach a world. I want to reach a state. I want to reach a city. I want to reach a neighborhood. I want to keep building churches and sending people off and plant more churches. I want to see God do great things in, to, and through Refuge Church. But I will not do it at the expense of my family. Because for all of us, the first ministry that we have is you want to be a minister Timothy let's talk about young ministers that man needs to be a husband of one wife That man needs to love his children. He needs to teach them discipline where they listen to him and obey him. Why? Because they need to understand at a young age about the fact that there's an authority structure. And they need to understand there's rules in society. And they need to understand the law of God. And you need to help them learn that. Because young preacher, you want to be a leader? Your first ministry is inside your house. So God inspired Paul to write this. Because he calls us to take care of what's in front of our homes. God wants to bless our families. But he never calls us to sacrifice our families. Not for anything. Not for ministry. Not for career. Yeah, but you know, this is a great opportunity. I will never sacrifice my children for anything. Because to me, as much as I love serving and, and we all have that, that element of pride where we just, we want, oh we, oh, we don't admit that. We don't talk about, we all have pride. But there are times where I've looked at my kids and said, if you guys ever feel doing North American Mission stuff or pastor, any of these things, that you guys are not important to me and you've got to come talk to me. Because I will make changes in my life because I need there's nothing in my life I need more than to be a good daddy at home but but it all ha- it happens, doesn't it? Sometimes life happens and before you know it, you just lose track of things sometimes. This morning, I got to take my daughter out. We went out and had lunch together each week I try to have one. Date time, I, should, I don't know how else to put it, with each of my children, and it rotates every week. Last, last time was Titus, and this time was Kieran. So this morning, I just take her out, because to me, when some, we'll talk about the best part of our day at nighttime, before bed. I love you all, and I love preaching, and I love the ministry of God. But my favorite part of my day was not standing in this pulpit. It was sitting across the table at uh, Noodles and Company. Waiting for too long for a dish that shouldn't have taken that long. <laughs> for some just average chicken and noodles. But to just talk to my daughter and look her in the eye and nothing monumental happened. But I just pray that she is raised knowing that her daddy adores her. Because to me, nothing matters more than that. Not a beautiful state of the art church. My first ministry is what's inside my home. God has never called us, and I'm about done, to sacrifice our family for ministry or anything else. But he does desire to sacrifice, to have families sacrifice with one another. He doesn't call you to put your kids in the altar of sacrifice in the name of ministry. But he calls us to sacrifice with one another. You read 2 Chronicles 35. Josiah is taking over as king, and he announces the Passover of the Lord, and it would be celebrated in Jerusalem. And so the Passover lamb was slaughtered on the 14th day of the first month. Josiah also assigned the priests to their duties and encouraged them. This is a big deal. It's Passover, lambs being killed. This is a huge thing. And they're doing their work in the temple of the Lord. Verse 3 says, He issued this order to the Levites, that's the Levitical priesthood. This is these are the ministers of, this, of, the, of the children of Israel. And they, they were taught to teach and, and who had been set apart to serve the Lord. And he says, put the holy ark in the temple that was built by Solomon, son of David, the king of Israel. You no longer need to carry it back and forth on your shoulders. Something, something shifts here in their, in their, their history. He says, uh, now spend your time serving the Lord with your God and his people, Israel. That's a whole nother message. When you're called into ministry, you're called into both. And I wouldn't even say, and when you say ministry, that doesn't mean a card carrying, that's a full-time job. We're all called into ministry. And notice, he said, God says, here's what I want you are to spend time with me and other people. God has always been about the vertical relationship and the horizontal relationship. Because if we only have one and not the other, We're incomplete in what he's calling us to be. And he says, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to put your time there. Spend spend time serving the Lord, your God, and his people, Israel, and report for duty according to the family divisions of your ancestors, the tribes, right? Following the directions of King David of Israel and the directions of his son Solomon. And look at this. Then here's what I want you to do. Remember, we're getting ready to celebrate the Passover. This is a huge thing. I'm talking to the Levitical priesthood, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand in the sanctuary at the place appointed for your family division and help the families assigned to you as they bring their offerings to the temple slaughter the Passover lamb, purify yourselves, prepare to help those who come, follow all the directions that the Lord gave Moses, but go back to verse 5. Here's what I want you to do as you prepare for this big religious day. Don't just send the kids off or tell them to hush or, no, no. As you prepare for this big religious day, I want you to separate by the family divisions. And then I want you to help the families assigned to you to bring their offering because God's intention was always built around family. That's why he calls us the sons of God, the daughters of God. Cry, Abba, Father, you're the children of God. I'm your father. Everything, The family unit he, was cre- he created at the beginning of time was a reflection of what he intended for us to be. And so he says, yeah, it was a big day, but remember, it's still focused on family. Come to the altar as a family. Bring your sacrifice. Sacrifice, what do we think? Financial, service, time, whatever it is, bring it as a family. Everything we do when we bring that to the temple, I come as a family. God called us to worship as a family, to come to church as a family, to sacrifice as a family, to take care of what's in front of our home as a family. And so today, I invite you to stand to your feet, and I think it would be fitting. I wish our kids were up here. We could pray as a family, but here's what we need to do. I think that we need to just find a place. And I know some of you are maybe sad. Maybe maybe your kids are grown. They live in different places. And you're like, man, it's a bummer. I wish they were here. And don't let, it, don't let it be a bittersweet sad time. As we wrap up this service, here's the greatest thing you can do. Every single one of us can find a place. And if your family's here, great. If not, begin to intercede for your family. Begin to pray over your children, over your parents, over your siblings, and just begin to cover your family in prayer. Begin to just talk to God about what they're going through, the situations. Maybe it's painful and there's some things you're going through. Maybe it's not. But every, every person, every family member needs prayer. And we are, we're, everything we preach, it, the whole Bible is so family focused. Right now, what we're about to pray for, and there's times where we say, let's pray for those getting baptized. If you want the spirit, you can receive it today. That's awesome. But I want to be just as passionate at today's service when I come to an altar, praying about my marriage. Praying about my children, praying about my mom, praying about my sister, praying about just my in-laws, praying about family, because that is the way God designed His Old Testament and His New Testament church. Everything, everything that He wants to do starts with you taking care of what's in front of your own house. I invite you right now to find a place to pray, to come to these altars. And to just begin to pray for your family. To begin to hold up and pray for your marriage. Pray for your children. Pray for your parents. Pray for your siblings.